Section 3 of My Inventions and Other Works The Autobiography of Nikola Tesla Electrical Experimenter February to October 1919 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kane Mercer My Inventions, Part 3 my Later Endeavors, The Discovery of the Rotating Magnetic Field by Nikola Tesla This article was published in Electrical Experimenter, April 1919. This installment, no doubt the most interesting of the three published so far, reveals many extraordinary occurrences and experiences in the world's greatest inventor's life, experiences such as do not fall on the lot of ordinary mortals and Tesla the many-sided, aside from inventing, knows the rare art of painting word pictures. He does so here in a masterly fashion. He tells us how he finally conceived the induction motor, perhaps his greatest discovery, the invention which changed the face of the globe, the invention which made possible the streetcar, the subway, the electric train, power transmission, the harnessing of waterfalls, and countless others. But let Tesla tell you himself how it all came about. It is a classic worth reading. Editor What is the induction motor? The induction motor operates on alternating current. It has no commutator like a direct current motor, nor slip rings like an alternating current motor. Contrary to the two types just cited, the field current is not steady, but the current itself rotates constantly pulling around with it, by induction, the only moving part of the motor, the rotor or armature. Having no armature nor slip rings, the induction motor never sparks. It consequently knows no brush trouble. It needs no attention because of its ruggedness. Only the bearings wear out. Its efficiency too is higher. On account of all this, the induction motor is used in a preponderant proportion in streetcars, electric trains, factories, etc. At the age of ten, I entered the real gymnasium, which was a new and fairly well-equipped institution. In the Department of Physics were various models of classical scientific apparatus, electrical and mechanical. The demonstrations and experiments performed from time to time by the instructors fascinated me and were undoubtedly a powerful incentive to invention. I was also passionately fond of mathematical studies, and often won the professor's praise for rapid calculation. This was due to my acquired faculty of visualizing the figures and performing the operations, not in the usual intuitive matter, but as an actual life. Up to a certain degree of complexity, it was absolutely the same to me whether I wrote the symbols on the board or conjured them before my mental vision. But freehand drawing, to which many hours of the course were devoted, was an annoyance I could not endure. This is rather remarkable, as most of the members of the family excelled in it. Perhaps my aversion was simply due to the predilection I found in undisturbed thought. Had it not been for a few exceptionally stupid boys who could not do anything at all, my record would have been the worst. It was a serious handicap, as under the then existing educational regime, drawing being obligatory, 
this deficiency threatened to spoil my whole career and my father had considerable trouble in railroading me from one class to another in the second year at that institution i became obsessed with the idea of producing continuous motion through steady air pressure the pump incident of which i have told had set afire my youthful imagination and impressed me with the boundless abilities of a vacuum i grew frantic in my desire to harness this inexhaustible energy but for a long time i was groping in the dark finally however my endeavors crystallized in an invention which was to enable me to achieve what no other mortal ever attempted imagine a cylinder freely rotatable on two bearings partly surrounded by a rectangular trough which fits it perfectly the open side of the trough is closed by a partition so that the cylindrical segment within the enclosure divides the latter into two compartments entirely separated from each other by airtight sliding joints one of these compartments being sealed and once for all exhausted the other remaining open a perpetual rotation of the cylinder would result at least i thought so a wooden model was constructed and fitted with infinite care and when i applied the pump on one side and actually observed that there was a tendency to turning i was delirious with joy mechanical flight was the one thing i wanted to accomplish although still under the discouraging recollection of a bad fall i sustained by jumping with an umbrella from the top of a building every day i used to transport myself through the air to distant regions but i could not understand just how i managed to do it now i had something concrete a flying machine with nothing more than a rotating shaft flapping wings and a vacuum of unlimited power from that time on i made my daily aerial excursions in a vehicle of comfort and luxury as might have befitted king solomon it took years before i understood that the atmospheric pressure acted at right angles to the surface of the cylinder and that the slight rotary effort i observed was due to a leak though this knowledge came gradually it gave me a painful shock i had hardly completed my course at the real gymnasium when i was prostrated with a dangerous illness or rather a score of them and my condition became so desperate that i was given up by physicians during this period i was permitted to read constantly obtaining books from the public library which had been neglected and entrusted to me for classification of the works and preparation of the catalogues one day i was handed a few volumes of new literature unlike anything i had ever read before and so captivating as to make me utterly forget my hopeless state they were the earlier works of mark twain and to them might have been due the miraculous recovery which followed twenty-five years later when i met mr clemens and we formed a friendship between us i told him of the experience and was amazed to see that the great man of laughter burst into tears my studies were continued at the higher real gymnasium in karlstadt croatia where one of my aunts resided she was a distinguished lady the wife of a colonel who was an old war-horse having participated in many battles i never can forget the three years i passed at their home no fortress in time of war was under a more rigid discipline i was fed like a canary bird all the meals were of the highest quality and deliciously prepared but short in quantity by a thousand percent the slices of ham cut by my aunt were like tissue paper when the colonel would put something substantial on my plate she would snatch it away and say excitedly to him 
be careful. Nico is very delicate. I had a voracious appetite and suffered like Tantalus, but I lived in an atmosphere of refinement and artistic taste quite unusual for those times and conditions. The land was low and marshy, and malaria fever never left me while there, despite of the enormous amounts of quinine I consumed. Occasionally the river would rise and drive an army of rats into the buildings, devouring everything, even to the bundles of the fierce paprika. These pests were to me a welcome diversion. I thinned their ranks by all sorts of means, which won me the unenviable distinction of rat-catcher in the community. At last, however, my course was completed, the misery ended, and I obtained the certificate of maturity which brought me to the crossroads. During all those years my parents never wavered in their resolve to make me embrace the clergy, the mere thought of which filled me with dread. I had become intensely interested in electricity under the stimulating influence of my professor of physics, who was an ingenious man and often demonstrated the principles by apparatus of his own invention. Among these I recall a device in the shape of a freely rotatable bulb with tin-foil coatings, which was made to spin rapidly when connected to a static machine. It is impossible for me to convey an adequate idea of the intensity of feeling I experienced in witnessing his exhibitions of these mysterious phenomena. Every impression produced a thousand echoes in my mind. I wanted to know more of this wonderful force. I longed for experiment and investigation, and resigned myself to the inevitable with aching heart. Just as I was making ready for the long journey home, I received word that my father wished me to go on a shooting expedition. It was a strange request, as he had always been strenuously opposed to this kind of sport. But a few days later, I learnt that the cholera was raging in that district, and, taking advantage of an opportunity, I returned to Gospic in disregard of my parents' wishes. It was incredible how absolutely ignorant people were as to the causes of this scourge which visited the country in intervals from fifteen to twenty years. They thought that the deadly agents were transmitted through the air and filled it with pungent odors and smoke. In the meantime, they drank the infected water and died in heaps. I contracted the awful disease on the very day of my arrival, and although surviving the crisis, I was confined to bed for nine months with scarcely any ability to move. My energy was completely exhausted, and for the second time I found myself at death's door. In one of the sinking spells, which was thought to be the last, my father rushed into the room. I still see his pallid face as he tried to cheer me in tones belaying his assurance. Perhaps, I said, I may get well if you let me study engineering. You will go to the best technical institution in the world, he solemnly replied, and I knew that he meant it. A heavy weight was lifted from my mind, but the relief would have come too late had it not been for a marvelous cure brought about through a bitter decoction of a peculiar being. I came to life like another Lazarus, to the utter amazement of everybody. My father insisted that I spend a year in healthful physical outdoor exercises, to which I reluctantly consented. For most of this term I roamed in the mountains, loaded with a hunter's outfit and a bundle of books, and this contact with nature made me stronger in body as well as in mind. I thought and planned, and conceived many ideas almost as a rule delusive. The vision was clear enough, but the knowledge of principles was very limited. 
in one of my inventions i propose to convey letters and packages across the seas through a submarine tube in spherical containers of sufficient strength to resist the hydraulic pressure the pumping plant intended to force the water through the tube was accurately figured and designed and all other particulars carefully worked out only one trifling detail of no consequence was lightly dismissed i assumed an arbitrary velocity of the water and what is more took pleasure in making it high thus arriving at a stupendous performance supported by faultless calculations subsequent reflections however on the resistance of pipes to fluid flow determined me to make this invention public property another one of my projects was to construct a ring around the equator which would of course flow freely and could be arrested in its spinning motion by reactionary forces thus enabling travel at a rate of about one thousand miles an hour impracticable by rail the reader will smile the plan was difficult of execution i will admit but not nearly so bad as that of a well-known new york professor who wanted to pump the air from the torrid to temperate zones entirely forgetful of the fact that the lord had provided a gigantic machine for this very purpose still another scheme far more important and attractive was to derive power from the rotational energy of terrestrial bodies i had discovered that objects on the earth's surface owing to the diurnal rotation of the globe are carried by the same alternately in and against the direction of translatory movement from this results a great change in momentum which could be utilized in the simplest imaginable manner to furnish motive effort in any habitable region of the world i cannot find words to describe my disappointment when later i realized that i was in the predicament of archimedes who vainly sought for a fixed point in the universe at the termination of my vacation i was sent to the polytechnic school in graz styria which my father had chosen as one of the oldest and best reputed institutions that was the moment i had eagerly awaited and i began my studies under good auspices and firmly resolved to succeed my previous training was above average due to my father's teaching and opportunities afforded i had acquired the knowledge of a number of languages and waded through the books of several libraries picking up information more or less useful then again for the first time i could choose my subjects as i liked and freehand drawing was to bother me no more i had made up my mind to give my parents a surprise and during the whole first year i regularly started my work at three o'clock in the morning and continued until eleven at night no sundays or holidays excepted as most of my fellow students took things easily naturally enough i eclipsed all records in the course of that year i passed through nine exams and the professors thought i deserved more than the highest qualifications armed with their flattering certificates i went home for a short rest expecting a triumph and was mortified when my father made light of these hard-won honours that almost killed my ambition but later after he had died i was pained to find a package of letters which the professors had written him to the effect that unless he took me away from the institution i would be killed through overwork thereafter i devoted myself chiefly to physics mechanics and mathematical studies spending the hours of leisure in the libraries 
I had a veritable mania for finishing whatever I began, which often got me into difficulties. On one occasion I started to read the works of Voltaire when I learned, to my dismay, that there were close on one hundred large volumes in small print which that monster had written while drinking seventy-two cups of black coffee per diem. It had to be done, but when I laid aside the last book I was very glad and said, Nevermore. My first year's showing had won me the appreciation and friendship of several professors. Among these were Professor Rogner, who was teaching arithmetical subjects and geometry, Professor Poschel, who held the chair of theoretical and experimental physics, and Dr. Alley, who taught integral calculus and specialized in differential equations. This scientist was the most brilliant lecturer to whom I have ever listened. He took a special interest in my progress and would frequently remain for an hour or two in the lecture room, giving me problems to solve, in which I delighted. To him I explained a flying machine I had conceived, not an illusionary invention, but one based on sound scientific principles, which has become realizable through my turbine, and will soon be given to the world. Both professors, Rogner and Poschel, were curious men. The former had peculiar ways of expressing himself, and whenever he did so there was a riot, followed by a long and embarrassing pause. Professor Poschel was a methodical and thoroughly grounded German. He had enormous feet and hands like the paws of a bear. But all of his experiments were skillfully performed with lock-like precision and without a miss. It was the second year of my studies that we received a Gram dynamo from Paris having the horseshoe form of a laminated field magnet and a wire-wound armature with a commutator. It was connected up and various effects of the currents were shown. While Professor Poschel was making demonstrations, running the machine as a motor, the brushes gave trouble, sparking badly, and I observed that it might be possible to operate a motor without these appliances. But he declared that it could not be done, and did me the honor of delivering a lecture on the subject, at the conclusion of which he remarked, Mr. Tesla may accomplish great things, but he certainly never will do this. It would be equivalent to converting a steadily pulling force like that of gravity into a rotary effort. It is a perpetual motion scheme, an impossible idea. But instinct is something which transcends knowledge. We have, undoubtedly, certain finer fibers that enable us to perceive truths when logical deduction or any other willful effort of the brain is futile. For a time I wavered, impressed by the professor's authority, but soon became convinced I was right and undertook the task with all the fire and boundless confidence of youth. I started by first, picturing in my mind a direct current machine running it and following the changing flow of the currents in the armature. Then I would imagine an alternator and investigate the process taking place in a similar manner. Next I would visualize systems comprising motors and generators and operate them in various ways. The images I saw were to me perfectly real and tangible. All my remaining term in Graz was passed in intense but fruitless efforts of this kind and I almost came to the conclusion that the problem was insolvable. In 1880 I went to Prague, Bohemia, carrying out my father's wish to complete my education at the university there. It was in that city that I made a decided advance, which consisted in detaching the commutator from the machine and studying the phenomena in this new aspect, but still without result. 
in the year following there was a sudden change in my views of life i realized that my parents had been making too great sacrifices on my account and resolved to relieve them of the burden the wave of the american telephone had just reached the european continent and the system was to be installed in budapest hungary it appeared an ideal opportunity all the more as a friend of our family was at the head of the enterprise it was here that i suffered the complete breakdown of the nerves to which i have referred what i experienced during the period of that illness surpasses all belief my sight and hearing were always extraordinary i could clearly discern objects in the distance when others saw no trace of them several times in my boyhood i saved the houses of our neighbors from fire by hearing the faint crackling sounds which did not disturb their sleep and calling for help in eighteen ninety nine when i was past forty and carrying on my experiments in colorado i could hear very distinctly thunderclaps at a distance of five hundred and fifty miles the limit of audition for my young assistance was scarcely more than one hundred and fifty miles my ear was thus over thirteen times more sensitive yet at that time i was so to speak stone deaf in comparison with the acuteness of my hearing while under the nervous strain in budapest i could hear the ticking of a watch with three rooms between me and the timepiece a fly alighting on the table in the room would cause a dull thud in my ear a carriage passing at a distance of a few miles fairly shook my whole body the whistle of a locomotive twenty or thirty miles away made the bench or chair on which i sat vibrate so strongly that the pain was unbearable the ground under my feet trembled continuously i had to support my bed on rubber cushions to get any rest at all the roaring noises from near and far often produced the effect of spoken words which often would have frightened me had i not been able to resolve them into their accidental components the sun's rays when periodically intercepted would cause blows of such force in my brain that they would stun me i had to summon all my will-power to pass under a bridge or other structure as i experienced a crushing pressure on the skull in the dark i had the sense of a bat and could detect the presence of an object at a distance of twelve feet by a peculiar creepy sensation on the forehead my pulse varied from a few to two hundred and sixty beats and all tissues of the body quivered with twitchings and tremors which was perhaps the hardest to bear a renowned physician who gave me daily large doses of bromide of potassium pronounced my malady unique and incurable it is my eternal regret that i was not under the observation of experts in physiology and psychology at that time i clung desperately to life but never expected to recover can anyone believe that so helpless a physical wreck could ever be transformed into a man of astonishing strength and tenacity able to work thirty-eight years almost without a day's interruption and find himself still strong and fresh in body and mind such is my case a powerful desire to live and to continue the work and the assistance of a devoted friend and athlete accomplished the wonder my health returned and with it the vigor of mind in attacking the problem again i almost regretted that the struggle was soon to end i had so much energy to spare when i undertook the task it was not with a resolve such as men often make with me it was a sacred vow a question of life and death i knew that i would perish if i failed 
now I felt that the battle was won. Back in the deep recesses of the brain was the solution, but I could not yet give it outward expression. One afternoon, which is ever present in my recollection, I was enjoying a walk with a friend in the city park and reciting poetry. At that age I knew entire books by heart, word for word. One of these was Goethe's Faust. The sun was just setting and reminded me of the glorious passage. Sie rückt und weit, der Tag ist überlebt. Dort eilet sie hin und fordert neues Leben. Oh, das kein Flügel mit vom Boden hebt. Ernach und immernach just reven. Ein schöner Traum, in dessen sie entweigt. Ach, so die Geistesflügel wird so leicht. Kein Kupperlicker Flügel sich gesellen. The glow retreats. Done is the day of toil. It yonder hastes new fields of life exploring. Ah, that no wing can lift me from the soil, upon its track to follow, follow soaring. A glorious dream, though now the glories fade. Alas, the wings that lift the mind no aid, of wings to lift the body can bequeath me. As I uttered these inspiring words, the idea came to me like a flash of lightning, and in an instant, the truth was revealed. I drew with a stick on the sand the diagrams shown six years later in my address before the American Institute of Electrical Engineers, and my companion understood them perfectly. The images I saw were wonderfully sharp and clear and had the solidity of metal and stone, so much so that I told him, See my motor here? Watch me reverse it. I cannot begin to describe my emotions. Figmalion, seeing his statue come to life, could not have been more deeply moved. A thousand secrets of nature which I have stumbled upon accidentally I would have given, for that one which I had wrestled from her against all odds and at the peril of my existence. End of section 3